Tonight we're going to be continuing our study in what makes the kingdom of God visible in our lives. Uh, I had kind of debated whether I should do like two weeks on community because like all I'm trying to do is introduce the topic and get into it so that like that will spur further discussion or study um, for you and your lives and your Bible studies, your own personal, private, whatever. Uh, but I decided like there's just so much that I'm not going to even do it uh, and just keep moving on because I want to, by the end of the semester, go into um, a study on proclamation evangelism and how to go out and share the gospel publicly and just some, uh, not just the calling for it and the theology and biblical framework for it, but how could we can practically do that. Because hopefully by the summer we're actually sending out teams of two every Friday night and during the week here at Wright State and uh, and out in the city at, at uh, the Oregon District or UD. Uh, and we're just going to go out in groups of two and share the gospel and we're going to do it. Anybody? Education. Yep. Okay. Well, that one should be social media. Okay. Number five is vocation. Okay, so social mores in the media, education, what goes here? Vocation. Yeah. Economy, business, finances. All of them. So, uh, just like the last two weeks, uh, what we talk about tonight is going to, like with the church, community, and church government, and even next week with membership commitment, uh, going to use a lot of the same verses, applied a little bit differently, and but still looking at it in the context of the kingdom of God uh, being manifest, incarnational, um, and how we visibly see that. So... Tonight we're talking about Christ's government within the church and what that's like. So let's go to the left. Austin, you just want to read that um, on the David Cornfield article. Just read that section of uh, of the kingdom mean, being made visible in government, and we'll go from there. Christ Awesome. So... That's probably all we're going to use this article for tonight. You can keep it, read it, throw it away, bring it next week. That way I don't have to print more off. And let's look at that concept. So on that article that I, uh, I'm sorry, on the handout that I provided. um, So to limit it, I'm going to try to just put some points on here and... uh, and that's try to what we'll actually limit our discussion to, although we'll probably get off topic quite a bit, to some degree. But uh, we really wouldn't be RCF if we didn't. <laughs> we were meant to get off topic. Okay, so what we hope to discuss, uh, and again, this is only an introduction, and this would take like 2,000 years to study and work out, uh, or it at least has so far, uh, on, on Christ's government. Uh, first, uh, that churches have governments, um, and what the titles and roles are, which should not be anything new to anybody. And then, uh, that we are to willingly submit to God's delegated authority, specifically we're talking about in the church, as we are to submit to Christ 
and submission comes from individual agreement or government, also known as in our um, chart or whatever, self-government, right? Self-government is everything. And thirdly, we're going to look at uh, the qualifications for elders and deacons are so that anyone who has been a Christian for two, for a year or two, uh, should be able to attain those qualifications. Hopefully, uh, if you've ever read uh, whatever it is, uh, 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and Titus 1 with the qualifications for elders and deacons, hopefully you read that and were like, oh, I should be able to uh, obtain that pretty uh, with a little bit of God the character and a little bit of time and by God's grace. If you feel like uh, an elders, one of the reasons why I like the qualifications for deacons over elders is because, um, as we'll get into it, uh, deacons can, can be addicted to a little bit of wine. <laughs> I was like, I like that. <laughs> Not a lot, but a little bit. That's something to obtain to, to reach for. Um, so, uh, this first part, the titles and roles, uh, like literally all I did was copy and paste from a previous um, Bible study we did. We're just going to kind of review that, even though that's the biggest section, all the front and half of the back. Uh, really, we're going to try to breeze through that in 30 minutes or so, or something. Yeah, good luck. Uh, so... First, let's kind of set a precedent. Um, so the titles, there's elders, overseers, shepherds, and deacons, and deaconesses are implied and re referred to. Uh, so first and foremost, those roles within the church, uh, before we get to what they are and what the titles mean, uh, first and foremost, they're descriptive and not prescriptive. So what do we mean by that? Deanna, <laughs> you raised your hand, nice and lo nice and loud. So that means that people Yeah, which all these these three concepts—the descriptive before prescriptive, charismatic and functional before hierarchical, and organic before organizational—all have the same idea behind it, just in different ways. So, in the actual role of like you know. An elder is one who presides over an assembly. That is first a description of what an elder does and is not a prescription of what an elder is going uh, to be doing, that they're going to uh, be doing that, right? The person who uh, is doing that is described and not going to be prescribed. Does that, does that make sense? Is that clear? Does anybody need... I feel like I'm kind of confused. <laughs> I think Deanna's probably was a little bit more clear. Uh, so what about charismatic and functional before hierarchical? What do we mean by that? Yeah, so we don't need, like, if we look at it as, as we'll get into, like, deacons are to serve the elders uh, within the church. Um, that's, like, a function of what they're going to be doing we don't need like a hierarchy based on an organizational chart just to distribute labor and make people feel important, right? There's no like climbing the ladder to like success in the church to get your name recognized. 
hopefully, uh, if you like. Like, if you want to climb the ladder, uh, try taking out the trash. Uh, stay up late nights and serve people. And, uh, you can come over tomorrow anytime after 2 p.m. and help me build a stand that we use year after year to go around the piano for a TV stand for the Super Bowl party. Are you going to build it again? Well, we got to put it back together. Yeah, we take it every year. We put it up, and every year we take it down. Right. So anybody who's in the neighborhood after 2 p.m. It just, it just takes two hands, or it takes more than two hands. That's why I was asking Melody exactly. if she was, when she was working tomorrow. Because I, I know how, all these single brothers are like growing vocationally, so like nobody's in town anymore. Uh, nobody's in the neighborhood. Nobody can come help me work while I get paid. <laughs> we need people like, never mind. Uh, so does that make sense? Like... Uh, we don't just need like a hierarchy to like have people like raise in recognition and be like, oh, like Josiah, after you serve for two years, you can become an elder. And then after you do this, then you can get like four more gold stars and be raised up. Hey there. Like we don't need a hierarchy for a hierarchy. We, these are like functional positions that like are necessary. Like as we get into, uh, you know, deacon, someone reminded me that, or will probably come up of, you know, the seven people chosen to serve uh, the apostles, although they're not expressly labeled as deacons, they're table waiters, and so that the apostles continue in preaching the word and in prayer. Like, they need to free up the apostles to do the, not the more spiritual, but the more important work of uh, administering sound doctrine and raising up healthy people. Kind of like an older sibling who can watch the baby while the parents go out to work. Uh, sort of. I yeah. Mean, not to like, not to like infantize anyone, but just right. you know, like. Yeah, there has to be like a, a functional. It's not just like they watch them to watch them. Yeah. There's like it's a functional position, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about organic before organizational? What do we mean by that? Kind of the same. You know, I mean, these are all loosely the same concept, but how is this one a little bit different? Is that like, do it before you're told to do it? Yeah. Like, it should just be done? Right. Like, Teresa's not here. Did anybody, I'm guessing, because uh, Teresa called me, she, had, she called me, she was like, hey, what do you want me to pick up from Meyer? And I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I usually, I was... I actually forgot to call somebody and ask them to pick up stuff from Meyer <laughs> so we can have some snacks or something afterwards. And I'm pretty sure, unless Deanna or Daniel or, or Amber or somebody asked her to pick them up, I'm pretty sure she just did it. Did she? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You didn't tell her to, like, hey, can you do this because we need someone to serve and do it. We'll ask, or ask we'll put her on the spot when she gets here and we'll see. Because uh, that's just like, who she is. And then I said, oh, we can get you a church card to reimburse you. And she's like, no, that's not a big deal. It's like 10 bucks. I was like, even better. <laughs> we need more people like that. Right. Yeah. Now there are uh, times <laughs> when we have to ask people and uh, it's asking, it's not forcing people to serve, uh, although you might think it is, but you have, as we can see, self-government, and you can say no, uh, but 
you know. Uh, if I could like count, I can't really count on my hands how many times like Josiah has helped me, uh, you know, shovel the church parking lot, um, you know, like on a Saturday night in the cold, <laughs> like just because he likes to serve, right? So it's no. Uh, so if a church doesn't have a government, that's probably a problem. Uh, <laughs> If there's not a plurality of elders, if there's only one person in charge, that's indicative, and they're not trying to grow more elders and more leadership and more deacons and more servant leaders, that's uh, indicative of a problem. And if they're not trying to grow that, that's an even bigger problem. Um, so uh, I just want to keep every. I guess let's just go through the titles because then I'll, then we'll just get into the... Uh, like actually having leaders and stuff. So let's just let's just stay focused. Because I, um, all right. Uh, where are we at? Austin, uh, read us the title of elder, and then uh, Adam, uh, overseer, and Anvesh, shepherd, and then we'll get into the scriptures. <clears throat> Yeah, you had a Freudian slip. You must have been reading your King James. <laughs> Did anybody catch that? Uh, I think if I heard you right, you said pormeno is the Greek word for pastor. We got shepherd on here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, pastor isn't doesn't actually, you know, Ephesians 4.11 says that the, uh, um, yeah, let's get some more. Uh, tables, some more chairs going. Oh, no, we got a, is anybody sitting here? Bethany's sitting there. Teresa, we got to put you on the spot for something. We got to ask you a question. Uh, let's get some more. Yeah. Squeeze one in the corner there, one in the corner there. Hey, just just put another row of chair, another row of tables in. Yeah, just put another. Yeah. Yeah, just put another merge chairs in. Uh, we usually stop the discussion at 8.30. And we usually hang out till like midnight. <laughs> I didn't catch your name, man. I'm Steven. Paul. Paul? Nice to meet you. And you were uh, Jim. <laughs> What's the name you give uh, people? His name is actually Armstrong. Uh, when you go through like a line. You always say it. You usually use your middle name, right? Yeah. Are you Muslim? No, I'm not. Let's talk about All right, we're going to put uh, Teresa on the spot real quick. Teresa, did anybody... Uh, we're looking at the... Uh, let's just first... I'm going to describe our chart here. This is the... Although we should have it like in a pyramid where civil government is the smallest and self-government is the biggest. So just think about it in a, the foundation itself. These are the seven inevitable institutions of every society. First is self-government, then family, then the church or religious institutions, education... Money, finances, business, social mores, and media, and then civil government is the smallest one. 
at the top. Uh, so you called me, and apparently you called uh, Deanna about you know what you should grab at Meyer. Did anybody tell you that you have to grab food at Meyer? No. Why did you do it? So that's in a, that's a if everyone had self government like that, the world would the church would be a better place. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say the world. I'm gonna say the church. Uh, <laughs> so that's just a small example of um, when we get down to like once we get past the titles and roles of um, like really what we we're talking about last week as far as community and First Corinthians uh, six where there was two disputes. There's a dispute between two people. Um, I got more. Hey, there's more outlines here. Thank you. Uh, you know, there's a dispute between two people, and uh, Paul's totally like, first of all, why is there a dispute? And then why do you, like, bring shame upon yourself to go to the civil government to rule it? Don't you have anybody wise and discerning among you? Obviously in the church, because he's talking about the saints. Uh so the overview of like number, the second point after we get past the tires and roll is, is that we should submit to the church government uh, in disputes and uh, willingly submit to them and not go to the civil government uh, for various things. Uh, but we'll get that af- to that after we talk about the tires and rules. But, um, but this is why there's church government and hierarchy and uh, shepherds. So did we read all the, oh, so we were talking about, you had the Freudian slip on Vesh. Uh, you said Pormeno uh, is Greek for pastor, but the paper says shepherd. So what am I talking about? What are we? It's mystery. Yeah. So I, I said on Vesh has probably been reading his King James uh, because the King James was the first, or one of the first to translate uh, the Greek word Pormeno, uh, especially in Ephesians 4.11, that the church is given apostles, prophets, uh, shepherds, and teachers for the building up uh, of the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, But King James says pastor, and pastor has more of a connotation of like a distant person, and a shepherd is like someone who oversees and takes care of the flock and cleans them and whatnot. All right, so where are we at? Jonathan. Um... So what we're going to do is let's just read all of these scriptures on the first page. I don't know if we're going to, because we, I do want to just fly through this. And I'm going to try not to talk. So let's just go one by one. Jonathan Garrett, 1 Timothy 1.15. Uh, Jonathan Maddox, Titus 1, 5 through 7, so forth. Kristen, Acts 20.17, that one. Uh, and then Mike, the First Peter 5 on that first page. So we'll just list all the verses, get them out of the way, and then talk about them. Sound good? No. Too bad. <laughs> all right, Jonathan, hit it. Hold on. Yeah, um, what are you reading? Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17. My bad if I misspoke on that. That's probably my fault. All right, so there's a clear connotation of elders who rule and teach and preach. 
All right, Jonathan Maddox, Titus 1, 5 through 7. You can just read off the paper or if you're, you read it out of your Bible. That's good there. All right. Kristen, Acts 20, 17 through 18, and then verse 28. All right, Mike, uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, and then, then verse 5. Yeah. So what do we see as far as like, uh, or what can we infer from the interchange uh, in Titus, Acts, and 1 Peter? Um, he uses all three of those words. Uh, elders, presbyteros, overseers, episcopos, and shepherds, poimenos. What can we infer? For the same person in the same position, what can we infer about that then? That they're all in authority. Yeah, they're all in authority, and they all kind of do the same. Uh, like an elder is an overseer and a shepherd, right? Because he tells elders to oversee and shepherd them. <laughs> now, uh, there might be people who shepherd that aren't necessarily elders, right? Like uh, your dad might shepherd you and care for you and watch over you, right? Just like uh, a shepherd watches over his flock, but that doesn't mean he's an elder, right? Um, you know, which would just be someone who's doing the role of a shepherd or shepherd-like and not necessarily in an official position. Right? So, um, so what else can we infer about uh, what uh, church government should look like? A little bit, um, what's the guy's name? David Cornfield brought it out in the article, in a little blurb a little bit. So how does uh, church government look different from the U.S. government? One's righteous, the other's unrighteous. Amen, brother. <laughs> we can end there and go home. <laughs> uh, although you could have unrighteous elders. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, the U.S. government is more self-serving. How do we know that? Yeah, how they use the resources, uh, what do you see them doing? So what's, what's church government supposed to look like? They're, they're not above reproach. The church government is supposed to close themselves. Right. Uh, something we'll you know, look more at as uh, the qualifications, because we didn't read all of them, but like most of it's like character. Like there's no qualifications for... Uh, the U.S. government to, like, be decent people. They've got to be, like, you know, if you want to be the president, you got to be over 35. <laughs> that's, that's not a character quality, right? Uh, but to be in church government, you have to be above reproach, uh, not addicted to wine, husband of one wife, able to teach. Does any of that apply to our government? You can't be addicted to can't be addicted to money. 
you have to rule well. You have to prove yourself in your own household first. None of that applies currently to our government. Now, uh, hopefully, as the gospel spreads and Christianity becomes more uh, theonomy-based and less antinomial, meaning uh, as Christians start to understand God's law and how to apply it, uh, and Christianity has influence in greater number, then we will start voting in more righteous, godly people <laughs> that have character. Like, I would never vote for uh, somebody uh, to be in office that has, like, scandalized women <laughs> and treated them poorly and gone bankrupt. <laughs> like, that would not be a good decision, I think. Uh, and you can infer from that whatever you want. <laughs> uh, that's all vague. But that's, you know, uh, that's all pointing back to their character. So uh, what else? What's the purpose of church government? <clears throat> Watch after the flock. Uh, what's the purpose of U.S. government? <laughs> well, you can, you can make your own inferences on uh, what their, uh, you know, current... Uh, purposes to be, are to, to protect the rights, <clears throat> to protect the rights of the, of the of the people, and to keep with what whatever whatever was laid at the foundation, the Constitution, to keep with what was laid at the, the foundation. Yeah, initially we were supposed to uh, limit national government and ensure the rights of the people, right? Ensure the well-being of the people. That's what the Constitution is for. Uh, but the government doesn't really care about that. But and All right. It should, it should empower. It should empower self-government too. Yeah, it should. Instead um, of taking it away. That was the uh, more initial idea. So, uh, what other differences do we see? Not just like the U.S. government currently, but most civil or national governments. Where do we see a difference? I'm just thinking practically. Like, I feel like most governments they have at least some sort of voting process where they're kind of brought up. It's not. It's more like a top-down, not a bottom-up, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a more, like we said in the beginning, like a more organic, um, charismatic approach of where they're doing the function, like who's serving. Uh, you know, like if we'll go, we'll reference back to, uh, I think it's Romans 16, I think we've got it on the back somewhere, uh, where I think it's Phoebe, or maybe it's pronounced, I think, yeah, it's Phoebe, uh, who is a deaconess, is described as a deaconess, and she's being sent, or Paul's writing about the Rome, to the Romans, and saying to receive her and pretty much let her rule over you to some capacity because of her service, which would be totally scandalous in the Roman culture to have a woman do that. So church government's a little bit, even back in the first century, uh, in that area was flipping the world upside down and doing some crazy things. All right, we've limited it to at least elders, elders shepherds, and... Um, overseers to 25 minutes. That's pretty good. Uh, now let's talk about deacons. So then we can get into the real stuff. Um, and just again, like we did a, a study on this. I'd have to like send me an email or Deanna. We can send you the podcast and an outline. Uh, that's like a two-hour teaching that you know Greg did on just the titles and roles of leaders in the New Testament. So we're just trying to go back and review a little bit uh, so we can get into the the real stuff. All right, so where are we at? 
uh, Teresa, uh, read us on the back of that page uh, about deacons. All right, let's just read uh, that first verse, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Deanna. Yeah, so, uh, Christine, let's skip that um, Greek word, uh, gyne, which I think is how it's pronounced. Just know that in there it's talking about women. Uh, and read uh, that Romans 16, 1 through 2, please. Yeah, so that's pretty scandalous. That's like two sentences uh, in the book of Romans, but it's pretty scandalous. And has uh, Paul has a much higher expectation uh, outside of the cultural idea of the day that women are property and are less equal that uh, receive Phoebe, uh, who is literally a deaconess of the church uh, in a manner worthy of the saints, the same people. That's pretty crazy. And uh, that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild. <laughs> like when you think about it in the first century Roman culture. Like... Paul, what are you talking about? Like, this is a woman. <laughs> like, is, like, this is what the culture would have said. But Paul's expectations in the church were, uh, she's a servant, she's a deaconess, uh, she's one who serves, and I'm gonna, she's going to come to you, receive her just as you would the saints, and uh, do whatever she asks so she, that she could continue to serve and uh, be faithful to the Lord. It's pretty wild. Um, don't let those things, like, when you read the Bible, like, read it actively. Think about these things, like, uh, think outside of, like, our current culture and what cultures they were written to and, uh, and what it would mean as a little side note. So, um, so that First Timothy uh, 3 is the only chance, you know, in Scripture that we get of the description of deacons. Um, and Phoebe is the only example of a of an actual actual deacon or someone who's attributed to a deacon. So um, some churches have females who are deacons or deaconesses. Some don't. That's a little bit controversial whether they do or not. Um, I think it's pretty clear in Scripture. Uh, like, why well, I don't I don't know uh, if you take the whole idea of Scripture where you can get the idea that women can't serve in an official capacity in the churches. Uh, maybe making a straw man fallacy, but I think that's what it boils down to. Um, but it seems to be it's for men and women. But some churches do things a little differently. So what's the what's the qualifications for? What's the what are deacons for? Someone kind of recapitulate us. Uh, what do deacons do? They serve. They serve, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing like elders, shepherds, and overseers. They serve in a different capacity. But uh, church government is always about, as David Cornfield brought out in the paragraph we read, service, servant leadership, right? Uh, 
you know, uh, you know, John 10, Jesus says he is the shepherd. I'm sending you out as sheep into the flock or out and as sheep into the wolves. Uh, he's talking to the disciples and apostles, right? Like, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, you know, uh, everything I heard from the Father, or, you know, I don't speak on my own accord. I've only heard what I've, I've only spoken what I heard from the Father. So, uh, to just sum up, elders, overseers, shepherds, deacons is a servant type of government in the church. It is official, right? It is, there's an official capacity. An elder has to literally rule over people and reside over them in an official capacity. Uh, it's supposed to be out of servant leadership to teach, shepherd, care for, pastor, nurture, all that, right? Okay, let's get into the good stuff. Anybody got any questions? Anybody want to be an elder? You want, you want to be an elder? You raised your hand. <laughs> Oh, do you want to? Oh, not really. I just, uh, it's a woman. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is, we'll get into it. I think it's the first Timothy. Uh, whoever desires to be an overseer desires an honorable thing. Uh, so... And in a more biblical context, it's probably not the funnest thing. Now, if you want to be in uh, the uh, U.S. government, that's not as noble, and you'll get a little bit more, um, you know, fame out of it, and you'll get paid more. You can go that route. All right, so we're going to look at our point number two, which is uh, we are to willingly submit to God's delegated authority as we are to submit to Christ. Ah, crap. <laughs> I hate submitting to authority. <laughs> it's not in my sin nature. I really do hate it. Uh, there's actually, Josiah may, might be the only one that actually gets this, but uh, I grew up uh, in like this culture of skateboarding, which is the whole idea <laughs> is like anti-authority. Sam would get it. Uh, the whole idea is like anti-authority, like running from cops all the time, destroying property, and my spirit, by the grace of God, will submit to authority, but doesn't like it all the time. But by the grace of God, I might start liking it. All right, so uh, let's talk about God always appoints and delegates authority to stream from his headship. Uh, if you were there at 9.30 on Sunday, John Gray talked about this. Uh, this isn't just in the church. We're going to try to limit this to just the church. Uh, but you look at headship, we can just say Romans 13. Yeah, you do have to obey the civil government. I know I don't like it either, but uh, you do have to obey the civil government. Uh, you do have to pay your taxes, even though it's theft. You do have to pay them, Romans 13. Uh, you know, wives submit to your husbands. There is a delegated authority in the marriage. Uh, you look up here... Uh, you know, that's, uh, there's no, you know, you yourself in self-government, you do have to submit to Christ. In the family, there is delegated authority. Uh, parents, honor your father and mother. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. In the church, elders. In schools, you have teachers, principals. 
uh, in business, in, at work, you have bosses, uh, social mores, maybe not as much, or at least it's not, um, you know, as prevalent. I think about that one, and obviously there's civil government, there's authority there, and those all stream uh, from God's headship, and they're all delegated, and they're all given to you for your benefit and growth uh, and for your development of Christian character. So, let's look at some Bible verses. <laughs> John Luke. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Let's just start with that one. And let's just like, let's just, let's just marinate in that one for a minute. And, oh yeah, let's do that First Peter 5, 5 too, Daniel. Oh, man. Jeez. I know. It's just really upsetting every time. For they keep watch over your souls as though this will be unprofitable. Yeah. So who's your leaders? What's he, who's he talking about? Is he talking about, like, your uh, principal leaders? Your, uh, your professors? Your boss? Uh, not direct, not directly. It's your pastor, the preacher, or the the shepherd of the flock, because it mentions souls. It's not just like you know, as a type of modern approach to employment or whatever. And that just mentions like obey your master. This one is like, mentioned soul specifically, not just the obey part. Yeah, yeah. Who's watching over your souls? It's not your professor. It's not your boss. Well, your professor might be trying to. Your boss might be trying to, but they <laughs> might they might be trying to do something else. Uh, so obey your leaders and submit to them. That's pretty direct and straightforward. That's like one of those, like if I was editing the Bible, that's probably one I would want to take out, but, uh, but I'm not. And I'm, you know, uh, that's not one that like makes me feel like really warm and fuzzy on the inside. (laughs) That makes me feel like, oh man, like I've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Like I need God's grace, but not only that, but let them do this with joy. And what's the other part? Not with grief. Not with grief? Mine says not with grief. Not with grief, right? There's probably more instances in my life where my pastor and elders have more so uh, watched over me with, like, grief and, like, oh, my God, like, this, what is he doing? <laughs> like, but I'm working on, uh, maybe they'll do it with joy one day. <laughs> We're getting closer, right? Like that should be like an active goal. It's an it's an active uh, command from the writer of Hebrews. You know, after all of that theology of uh, you know going all the way through, you know Hebrews of Christ being you know the high priest and all these you know things and the chief shepherd and all this and like what's the practical outcome of all that theology that we learn in Hebrews? Obey obey your leaders and submit to them. I was like ah. Like, that's not very pietistic, unfortunately. That's like a real world. This is how you're going to live out your obedience to Christ. And your revel- like, if you've seen Christ and seen his glory, you'll submit to your leaders. And you'll, uh, you know, seek to that they'll do it with joy. <laughs> so I think we all got a little bit <laughs> to work on that one. Um, all right, First Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, for God opposes the power, but gives grace to the humble. 
Yeah. So what, uh, why do people not want to obey their leaders and submit to them? Why does it suck? Because we want to have authority. That's what Adam and Eve did. They didn't consider God's authority valid, so they decided to carry it themselves. Right. It's part of pride and wanting to be your own God. And I will not have this man rule over me, as Jesus gave the parable uh, to, the, to the Jews. Like, uh, that's where it comes from. It comes from our sin nature of wanting to be our own God. Of, you know, like it's, we like the verses, uh, you know, What's the second part? Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. What's the second part of that? And he'll exalt you in, in due time. Yeah, that clearly comes after, after submit to the elders. Younger men, submit yourself to the elders. Right? Humble yourself. Like, oh, man, that's like super spiritual. <laughs> man. Like nobody like in their sin nature likes doing that. I don't <laughs> like it's like I actually have uh, in Proverbs uh, Proverbs one. Um, let me just look it up because I had to write it every time I see a proverb um, about like receiving rebuke and correction, uh, which is part of pride and rebellion or not having pride and rebellion. Uh, I make a note of it. And refer back to Proverbs 1 where it says, um, you know, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. And I've got a list of about like uh, 15 to 20 other Proverbs that point to the same thing about receiving rebuke and correction and getting counsel, which is all about not having pride, not making yourself God, not being wise in your own eyes, uh, because that's a real problem. For me, <laughs> which means it's a, probably a real problem for everybody else, right? Does anybody not struggle with pride, Sam? <laughs> right, but that's where that's like that's the root of like not wanting to submit, you know, and uh, not willing. Like, it's one thing to like you know uh, actively go against uh, leadership and someone who's shepherding and taking care of your soul and who's actively doing that and actively rebelling against it. And it's another thing uh, to, like, be so refined by the grace and presence of God to, like, actually willingly come under leadership and submit to yourself. Instead of them seeking you out, you seek them out. Hey, what can I do for you? How could I better serve you? Uh, What do you need? Stuff like that. That's like a whole nother ballpark, whole nother game. So uh, here's a pretty, um, here's some rough verses. Let's go to, uh, where are we at? Uh, number 16. I didn't catch, uh, Robbie, is this your friend? Yeah. I didn't catch your name. What is it? Anthony. Anthony. Uh, would you like to read Numbers uh, chapter 16, verses 2, and it looks like verse 11. Uh, I do not have them printed on the sheet. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, then we could skip you and come to Robbie or, or whatever. I don't even know if these are probably right. We'll find out.
Yeah. So let's uh, from there. Let's skip down to. Uh, that's just to give a little bit of context. Now, if you can uh, read verse eleven. So what am I trying to develop, or what is the Lord? If we read the whole thing, uh, which uh, we don't have time to read the whole thing and me ramble on about this. Uh, so what's, what's going on? Uh, 250 men from Korah are rebelling against Moses and Aaron, and they're saying, you've gone too far. You're pushing us too hard. Stop it, Moses. And then what does the Lord say? Daniel. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he said, like, it's don't worry about it, Moses. Uh, well, he doesn't say don't worry. He says, it's not against Moses that they're rebelling. They're rebelling against me. The Lord says they're rebelling against me when you're rebelling against Moses. And who is Aaron to rebel against? <laughs> I like how the Lord adds that. <laughs> that you, to, to grumble against him. <clears throat> yeah, like, like, at this point, like, who is Aaron? <laughs> like, it's kind of funny. Uh, he's like... You know, Moses' servant. <laughs> it's kind of funny uh, that they would even claim to rebel against Aaron. Uh, but the Lord's saying they're not rebelling against you, they're rebelling against me. Uh, like this is part of God's delegated authority that he's invested in Moses and Aaron and, and the priesthood and other leaders. Uh, and Korah's like, no, nah, we're going back to Egypt. Sounds like a plan, Right? And it doesn't turn out good for Korah or his men. All right. Uh, let's go on. Rob, you want to grab that 2 Corinthians 10, 8? Yeah. So Paul's saying, like, even if I boast my authority... Uh, I'm not going to be ashamed because it's for your building up, right? So seated under um, an elder or a shepherd or someone or ser servant leader who has that attitude, uh, you know, if you look at it, the whole book of Second Corinthians, they weren't, like, necessarily submitting to Paul and his leadership. Uh, you know, his whole, Paul's whole Second Corinthian letter, second letter to the Corinthians, which is actually his third letter, is all about, like, you know, uh, establishing himself as their authority because he's like who are these super apostles and all these people you've been listening to <laughs> you know uh, and he's defending his apostleship his authority over them uh, which is pretty uh, like like how many people are going to like uh, come and fight for their authority over you for your building up <laughs> in our culture not many Right, I can't think of any other uh, establishment or even uh, person that I know personally that would like fight for their authority over me that, so that they can help me grow in Christ and make sure I don't continue down a rebellious path, path and obey the Lord and, and build me up. Like it would take like a real servant leader, right? Um, so there's a there's a clear authority there, right? Um, yeah, let's move on. Acts, uh, Byron, can you read Acts 23, 1 through 5? 
So this is another like wild encounter of Paul. Uh, I, I find this like absolutely astonishing in light of the aspects of authority. Yeah. So uh, Paul is before the council uh, in, I think this is in Jerusalem, right? Is it? I have to double check. And he gets uh, brought in before the temple guards to before the, the rulers and apparently the high priest. And the high priest orders someone to strike him. <laughs> and Paul, which is obviously not allowed, it is against uh, the Jewish law um, for them to do that. And, uh, and what's that? Yeah, well, I don't think they would, they might not have cared as much that he was a Roman. Uh, although the, uh, later it does come into account. Um, but then he's like, back, backlashes verbally that like, like, you guys are hypocrites, you're, you're empty, dead tombs, you're like, you're filthy, you're dead on the inside. Uh, and someone's like, how dare you speak against the high priest? And Paul's actually like, uh, you know, says, oh, I didn't know he was the high priest, which I don't think he was being sarcastic. Um, some people think he was, and it might be plausible. Um, but then he quotes Exodus, I think it's like 22, 28, uh, which I think I've got there somewhere later, uh, that you shouldn't even uh, speak evil of a rule of your people. So what's Paul saying? Yeah. So is this one of is this guy like shepherding Paul's soul and giving him pastoral counsel and helping him to understand scripture better? Not really. Not really. <laughs> Actually Paul's helping him to understand scripture better. Right, so what's his, so what's Paul's point here? What's one of the as far as authority? God's God's the one who sets authority. Ultimately, you have to submit to the, the authorities that God sets. Yeah. So what context are we... Go ahead, John. Luke. Even though the high priest is probably not like, that kind of respected person, is he respected? He still honors his authority? He still submits to his authority and honors it to, to the degree, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, so what's happened, um, I guess, think, on times of... I'm just going to... Uh, like on a covenantal standpoint, uh, which covenant are we in in Paul in this context? The new covenant. We're in the new covenant, right? So he's establishing churches, but what's happened to the old covenant? There's still like there's like this weird in between period. Not like not like there's two covenants. So don't catch me wrong on that one. But God has not destroyed the Jerusalem temple yet. There was a few years before that. So there was still uh, a period where there was God's anointed, so to speak, uh, in charge of the temple system and of that, of that realm and had authority. And Paul submitted to it. That kind of makes me think of, uh, although it's a kind of funny story, 
to some degree to tell kids. Uh, I think Braden would like this, but I'll tell you about it, why he'd like it later. Because <laughs> uh, he's a young boy. Uh, but remember when uh, King Saul is in the cave uh, using the restroom, and David's in the cave too, right? And what happens? He comes up and takes a piece of cloth off his... Uh yeah, he, he cuts a piece of cloth off to let him know that, like, I could have killed you. Uh, where, so who's the king? Saul. Saul. Who's the anointed one that's going to be king? David. David, right? So David knows he's going to be king. He's already been anointed. Uh, he doesn't use his own power and will to kill the king that's in power right now, even though he knows he's going to be king. He could, he could become king quicker. <laughs> All he's got to do is stab him, right? So then what happens? He feels guilty about it. And then, so to kind of finish the story. Oh. Well, he feels guilty about it, and eventually he tells Saw, uh, like, see, I have this piece of your robe. I could have killed you. And, and then Saul's like, ah, oh, crap, I'm being a big jerk. And he stops chasing David, but then he starts again. Yeah, for, for a little bit, <laughs> right? So... Uh, David knows he's going to be king. He's already been anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit and he's winning victories and battles. And, but he still doesn't take it into his own hands and he still submits to Saul's authority to some degree, right? By, by not killing him. When, when, uh, after Saul is killed even, when the, the, um, he claims to have killed Saul, yeah, he but had him. might not have. Yeah, because uh, the same thing in the context of what David says to Saul you know, out after the cave incident, it is like, who am I to put my hand against God's anointed? Right? So, uh, even though, so going back to Paul and uh, Ananias, or whatever his name is, is that right? Yeah. Ananias, uh, the high priest, he's still like, Paul's, you know, saying, who am I to even speak ill against God's anointed while it's still in play? While he's still high priest even though he knows that the Jerusalem and the temple and that whole covenantal system of sacrifice is going to be destroyed and God is bringing judgment, he still submits and won't even speak evil against him. Like, that's a pretty good example of, you know, submission to authority. Uh, even when the authority is in, a, in your best interest and they're slapping you around a little bit. So if your pastor comes and slaps you around a little bit, slaps you in the face, I think you're supposed to say, praise God. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Would Esther be an example of that? When she had to go be a Christine and everything? Uh, yeah, that could be a good example okay. of submission to authority like that. Yeah, not uh, going against you know, God's anointed. All right. Uh, so... On to the next line. We've got bad fruit, rejecting authority. Not a good thing. Um, so let's, we'll try to keep this confined to just the ideas of the church. I know like in our modern uh, American evangelistic, uh, evangelistic, no. Um, evangelical. evangelical. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for saving me on this. Evangelical kind of churches nowadays, like, we don't even have, like, uh, most churches don't have um, 
elders or shepherds who like actually care uh, in a like a one-on-one. -on -one, let me help you and serve you and spend most of my time investing in you. We have tried as much as we can uh, in RCF and GCF to raise that kind of culture because uh, quite frankly, we see that as what Paul did biblically and just because our culture is just so confused now that we think, you know, we're gonna look at, uh, when, when we look at the qualifications, it's knowing healthy doctrine, which means there could be unhealthy doctrine uh, and being able to teach that and admonish people on that. Uh, you know, in today's culture, that I think one-on-one -on -one is absolutely necessary if you're going to actually bring somebody into a healthy Christianity, uh, but not, uh, it's probably the best way, but maybe not the only way. That's just a side note. So, uh, but just, you know, with the context of, I know like most churches nowadays in America don't actually meet with people one-on-one -on -one all the time. But that's the culture that we're trying to develop and raise people to do. So, uh, where are we at? Sydney. Let's read 2 Peter 2, 10 and 11. Uh, let's just read all these. We can go through them. Um, Sam Chinpoon, Jude, Jude 6 to 8. Uh, Dan, 3 John 1, 9. Melody, Titus 1, 10. And then that Exodus 2.28, we don't have to read that. That's Paul quoted that there in, in Acts. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Don't do it. Yeah. So Second uh, Peter is all about false teachers and, and prophets in the church. And these are people who, uh, even in a position of authority, despise authority. <laughs> So that kind of gives you a hint that even uh, if you look in the context, which we didn't really discuss earlier, is that like uh, all elders in the church are ultimately still submitted to another authority in the church. All right, Sam Chinpoon, uh, Jude 6 through 8. Yeah. Oh man, that's like <laughs> what a like a word picture. Uh, like people who are like Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, like the angels, the fallen angels who are held in captivity. Uh, like people, one of the attributes of them, they reject authority. <laughs> that's like that's very comforting. <laughs> By the way, plug for Thursday. Uh, I think we're going over Sodom and Acts, what is it, or uh, Genesis 19, is that right? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, come and be encouraged. <laughs> yeah. So he's using that as like as an example of, uh, you know, just think if, you know, the we can't go back into the full context of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they were like trying to sexually assault uh, the straight the, the the sojourners the angels the embodied angels in Sodom and Gomorrah and it's those people in the same manner who reject authority are doing the same kind of things that's a pretty strong word picture all right Dan third John 1 9 
Yeah. So, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Diotrephes. Yep, that sounds good. As long as you say it with confidence, it's that's right. That's. I do. You're making me feel good about it. Uh, the so that's the King James. Does not acknowledge. Read that last part. Excuse me. Read that last part of the verse again. And receives us not. Uh, the ESV says, does not acknowledge our authority. Right? And then it goes on to talk about them. <clears throat> All right, where are we at? Melody, Titus 1.10. For there are many who are insubordinate. Is that Titus? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, so... Insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. Yeah, those who do not submit, right? Who are not, uh, who are insubordinate. Yeah. Um, and then Jane, uh, this is all we'll read in this uh, kind of, as we talk about this. So Ecclesiastes 10.20. Yeah. So, as far as authority goes, uh, in your bedchambers, uh, what, what, what version is that? Uh, Nasby. Nasby. Uh, in your bedchambers, do not curse a ruler. Um, I think the ESV says, in your heart, do not curse a ruler. Like in the secret spot. What does it say? Thoughts. Even in your thoughts, don't curse a ruler or a king. How much more uh, those who shepherd your souls... That's a pretty steep. <laughs> that's a pretty steep uh, command, right? So, um, so where does uh, submission to elders, rulers, God's church government come from? What's that? Well, where does uh, on what level of authority does submission come from? Well, it's in the church, right? The church is the government. So where does it start? Self. Self. It always starts with self. It's, Sorry, <laughs> the wording. Yeah. Uh, so it always starts with self-government, right? In yourself, submit to your elders. Uh, submit to those who watch over you, right? Um, so part of that is, you know, because God actually, like, uses, like, delivery systems of grace. We talk about that a lot of being first and foremost the word of God, then the spirit of God, then the church of God, and all forms of God's grace come into uh, existence through those means. Um, so, you know, one of the things we're like really hitting in this series is that the kingdom of God is manifest, incarnate, visible. Uh, that's like That's like a real thing. That's like the kingdom of God is coming in power, and in glory, and in real manifest ways that you can see, feel, touch, observe, quantify, right? The opposite of that is pietism and retreatism of where it's just in my thoughts, it's just in my mind. I believe and say that Christ is Lord. I love uh, Romans ten thirteen that says, whoever believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord is saved. Uh, and what I think that means, and I like the feelings of 
saying I believe something in my heart and mind and being saved, but what I'm being saved from I don't really want to think about and like how that comes into existence and I don't really want to think about that because uh, I'd have to like change my life and repent and if Christ is Lord, then his delegated authority is Lord and I've got to submit to them and obey them and learn from them and serve them and like that's a lot more uh, tangible, quantifiable, hands-on than like sitting in my room and saying I believe something, <laughs> right? So that's kind of like the focus of what we're um, hitting at here. So, um, hmm, hmm. oh, so. Here's just like another kind of like metaphor example. Uh, what's the purpose of, uh, what is some express purposes of our U.S. government and our nation or any nation for that matter? Justice. Serve justice, right? So what's justice? Whoever uh, man slays should be slain by man. Well, that's an example of like God's justice. What is justice? To whatever, like what does justice require? Free rights, free will. What'd you say, Daniel? Consequences of the law. Consequences of the law, right? So has to do with law, right? So uh, what is part of our church government doing in pertaining to the law? Relaying it, teaching it, right? That's one. That's one area. So the government, like, okay. So here's something. Uh, <laughs> Deanna, were you here? Oh yeah, you were at the house. Uh, we got this thing from uh, because Grace Christian Fellowship is my employer, uh, and I like this. The greatest thing happened the other day. Uh, I learned I have rights as an employee. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like I. You know, kind of a joke. I was like, I didn't know that. Like, I thought I was just, like, getting used, and I didn't know I had, like, I could exercise my rights. And I thought I was just, like, a vessel for whatever purpose that is yet to be defined or something. So I unrolled this big thing that says, like, employees' rights, and, like, you have to pay minimum wage of this, and then there's a little box that says, like, you can't sexually harass your employees, and you can't do this and this and this, and, like, there's all these laws and rights that an employer has, right? And they sent me this huge... It's like, you know, three by two or something, laminated thing that we can post. Because people have to know. <laughs> yeah, it was huge. Right? So that's, so that's an instance of like, like teaching or administering the law. Right? So that's one aspect. What's another aspect of the law? Like consequences right I could I could exhibit or I could uh, I could demand that my rights as an employee if they're violated uh, have you know repercussions to the employer right every one of you can do that right you all have rights as employers you all have rights as American citizens right uh, right so uh, if someone breaks a law there's a consequence the civil government if you steal, because in America, uh, if you're a citizen, 
stealing is wrong unless you work for the IRS uh, and you could be punished. You could uh, serve retribution, you could have to pay it back, jail time, whatever, right? So what am I getting at with church government and the law? Yeah, that's another instance. There's no um, direct law behind that. That's an instance of uh, helping someone come to repentance in any form. But that all comes back to relying on self-government that they would want to repent and submit to uh, that you know form of uh, discipline and accountability, right? So, like, if we can wrap our minds around this, willingly submitting to church government. Um, you know, in, in right context, in right biblical manner, like, would require, like, that everybody on, you know, some form have enough self-government to say, I'm going to submit myself to the church elders and their government and their wisdom and their counsel uh, and their um, discipline and their reproof, right? Because I could easily say, forget that. Like, if I... Uh, if I wronged John Luke and uh, I was borrowing his car because he graciously let me because my car was in the shop and uh, even if it was for ten dollars and like I got in an accident and destroyed his car and I said now I'm not going to pay for it that's kind of his fault for letting me borrow it he knew I was a bad driver like that's John Luke's fault right and like what if the elders because it would be righteous for me to pay because it's my fault and my responsibility for destroying his car to pay to have his car fixed. That's what would be righteous through God's law. Look at Exodus 20 for that, uh, or sorry, 22. Um, but I would like have to willingly submit to that, right? Because I could say, no, forget that. John Luke's got liability insurance. Civil government won't prosecute me. It's not, I didn't violate a law, right? Well, you're also supposed to like technically you should, it shouldn't make it past, you know, like to like the whole like judicial system. Right, that was the should, whole. It shouldn't make it past that far. That's the whole problem of First Corinthians 6 is he's saying, why are you going to the civil magistrates? Remember, what was the issue before? What's the last issue Paul addresses in First Corinthians 5? Sexual morality. Sexual morality. He's not making like, oh, let's change this topic real quick and talk about something Different because this is uncomfortable as a leader have to draw out and rebuke you. He's like saying like after sexual morality, I'm going to address that you guys are going to the civil magistrates and as a violation of God's law, why are you submitting to them? Why aren't you submitting to the church? Why isn't anybody wise enough? Like that's pretty serious. Paul's like, I, I can't remember if it's the uh, second letter or the first letter where he's like, no wonder it says like that Paul's so... Uh, you know, so forceful in his words in letter, but in his presence, he's kind of meek. <laughs> it's easier to do that over letters. That was Second Corinthians, like ten seven or nine. It was right. Yeah, many. it's right around one of those other verses, I think, that uh, in chapter ten. So, like, what it would take is, like, if let's go back to First Corinthians six. Two people have a dispute amongst themselves, and they're taking it to the civil magistrates. Uh, first, they would have to take. Uh, two people willingly submitting to the church government 
on whatever decision they make. Hopefully that there's someone wise enough that knows the law of God well enough, has good character, good stance, isn't uh, one-sided, isn't after, you know, as I think Timothy says, sordid gain, uh, knows healthy doctrine, right? They would have to take two people willingly submitting to that going into it, right? Do, is that like classifying the Western church right now? <laughs> no, not by any, by no means, right? So you would have to know, like, the church government would have to know God's law, how to utilize it, and how to use it properly. Like, that's a direct implication, or you're just, like, submitting to two humanists on what they think is best in some official capacity. You might as well go to the civil magistrates, because <laughs> you might get something a little bit better, but not much, right? <coughs> So that's just a plug to not be antinomian. But that, like, there literally would have to be a law or a standard in place. That's the direct implication. And the direct implication is self-government willingly submitting to the church government, right? Um, yeah, that's probably as far as, oh, man, it's like 825. <laughs> All right, let's go to qualifications. <laughs> Where are we at? Amber. Uh, why don't you read that First Timothy 3, 2 through 13, and then uh, Kyle, why don't you read Titus 1, 6 through 9. And let's just look at the qualifications real quick and just like actively think about how hard it would be to reach these qualifications. And my, like I start with, after reading it a couple times, of it's not that hard. Hit it, Amber. Yeah, so that's actually, like, I would hope that, like, after reading that, like, everybody looks at those qualifications and says, like, within a year or two of being a Christian, I could meet those standards because they're not that high. Don't be a drunkard. <laughs> some of us have some work to do. <laughs> like, don't be quarrelsome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, don't get into fights. <laughs> like, what is, like, how hard is this? Uh, you have to have a clear, you have to hold the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience. Like, and probably being like above approach is probably like one of the harder things, like, you know, that he labels. Uh, you know, if you get to a point to where like people aren't like constantly like, you know, coming to you and be like, hey man, like, maybe you should watch what you say in front of, uh, maybe you shouldn't be so crass or whatever, you know? Uh, people, when people have to stop like, taking you aside and saying, hey, you should work on this character quality, is then you know you've grown up in the Lord a little bit. All right, let's read Titus. Super hard qualifications. Let's, let's see what we got. Go ahead, Kyle. Okay. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children down doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah, so I probably think the hardest one there, uh, besides like maybe self-control, is like having sound, or uh, the ESV has a note that says healthy doctrine and rebuking those who contradict sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. Like the qualifications are not very high. I hope everybody seeks to love God and develop godly character in such real ways 
that they can meet this within a year or two of being a Christian, honestly. The only difference would be that you uh, have some official title, right? But hopefully you have enough character or seeking that much character uh, to do that, right? Does anybody think that those like sound like really hard and they're really unrealistic and too high? Deanna thinks they are. <laughs> Like it's a stereotype. Yeah, PKs yeah, are the worst. PKs are the worst. As a single person and not having kids, I would say that that's an easy thing. But like, to bring up control from the Lord is definitely not an easy thing. So I would have to. That that's probably the hardest. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good point. You know, if we look at if we're just using this diagram as like a matrix, like how could you like ascend to any official title? of like an overseer shepherding if you're not already doing that in a lower form of government in the family, right? That's another form of where, like this isn't like, you don't see this in the Bible uh, as like Jesus taught on the seven institutions of every society, right? This is something that uh, people have developed in, in a, a sociological way have developed over time as just a way to look at different streams of authority uh, and governments. Um, but if you're like, obviously the family is more foundational than the church, right? Obviously the, the church is more foundational than civil government. Right. And everything like, you know, uh, within these um, is loose enough verbiage to where it gives leeway for the church to make decisions like, well, uh, is this person a qualified elder or not? Some churches might, you know, side on like a really, really, really strict side and say, well, if they're not believers and they're not so many, their children aren't so many in every way, then they shouldn't be an elder. And some churches read this and go a little bit on a looser side that says, well, you can't uh, force a child to submit to the Lord, but hopefully your godly character in bringing them up would lead them that way. So there's like, you know, uh, a little bit of a sliding scale to where this is loose enough, you know, to use. Like, not a drunkard, right? You can't be like flat out drunk all the time, but you can drink, right? But some churches would slide you know, on just that issue, right? So hopefully that was beneficial. Hopefully that was, uh, calls you all to realize theonomy and Christian ethics more and pray for a passion and a zeal to submit to your elders <laughs> and obey them because they watch over your souls. Uh, somebody want to pray and then Teresa can tell us what we've won? Or we could just figure out what we have to eat. Sam, can you uh, close this in prayer, please?